Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. It's August 2020, and thanks to COVID-19, we're practicing social distancing by recording 10 feet apart in an empty theater. It's weird, but it's much better than Zoom. Today, we bring you another in our series of Lockdown Listener Requests. Our mysterious listener, Monica, writes, I'm a new but passionate fan of the podcast. I love exploring old-time radio mysteries, and the commentary at the end never disappoints. In fact, I think my favorite episodes are the ones where Tim, Eric, and Joshua despise the radio show. They're hilarious. I wanted to recommend Cat's Cradle from The Price of Fear. It's really gruesome, and honestly, who can ever get enough of Vincent Price? The initial five-episode run of The Price of Fear aired in September of 1973 on the BBC World Service. The production's popularity warranted a second run of shows in 1974 and a third that aired in 1983. Of course, what made The Price of Fear so special was the show's star, Vincent Price. By the early 70s, Price was a well-established horror icon, thanks to a series of film adaptations of Edgar Allan Poe stories directed by Roger Corman. Long before that, though, he had a full career on the radio, including appearances on Suspense and Escape, most notably the classic radio play Three Skeleton Key. He also lent his debonair voice to the title character on the crime drama The Saint from 1947 to 1951. In The Price of Fear... Price played a fictionalized version of himself, a globe-trotting gourmet and devotee of the arts who just happens to continually find himself wrapped up in macabre situations. Cat's Cradle was adapted for radio by Richard Davis from Bram Stoker's offensively titled short story, The Squaw. It was first published in the 1893 issue of the weekly magazine Illustrated Sporting and Dramatic News. It was republished in 1914 as part of the anthology Dracula's Guest and Other Weird Stories. Although Richard Davis excised the original story's racist content, the play remains a very graphic and violent tale. You've been warned. And now let's listen to Cat's Cradle from The Price of Fear, first broadcast on the BBC World Service, September 15th, 1973. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Price of Fear, brought to you by Vincent Price. Hello there. Do you own a cat? Or rather, I should say, does a cat own you? Doesn't it strike you as strange that despite centuries of domestication, cats have never really lost their independence, their ruthlessness? To cats, life is still the lore of the jungle. Just try taking liberties with your cat. 
be he never so tame, and you'll soon be put in your place. <laughs> I've always had a healthy respect for cats, despite that one time when I was forced to... Oh, but let me tell you about it. I think I'll call the story Cat's Cradle. Several years ago, I was making a movie in Germany, and there was some sort of hold-up during shooting, a tiresome and boring state of affairs that happens all too often, and I found myself with some days on my hands, so I decided to visit some of the beautiful old castles of Bavaria. High on my itinerary was Sonderberg in Franconia, near the Württemberg border. Sonderberg tends to get overlooked by the main tourist trade. Yet it is one of the most complete examples I know of a medieval market town which has survived comparatively intact. I checked in at one of the local hotels late one afternoon, and while they were getting my room ready, I sat down at one of the little tables near the door and ordered a drink, a large tankard of their local beer, actually. At the next table sat a young couple, whispering intently, but their voices were angry and out of control, and as I sat enjoying my beer, it was impossible not to overhear that they were deep in some childish tiff. Beth, for God's sake, stop talking nonsense. How dare you say it's nonsense? It is nonsense, and you know it. I never even looked at the damn woman. I don't know how you can be so callous. Did you see how disgustingly fat she was? I tell you, I didn't notice her at all. Liar. Oh, shut up. Oh, God, what a start to married life. Oh, look, Beth, you're tired. I'm tired. It, it's all been a strain. Let's not say things we'll be sorry for. Let's have an early night. The next best thing to your German housefrau. Oh, for the last time, I didn't fancy her. If you're going to carry on like this every time I look at another woman, you'd better tear my ruddy eyes out. Ah, so now you admit you looked at her. Oh, for heaven's sake. The young man glanced uneasily in my direction, obviously wondering if I'd become an involuntary eavesdropper. Of course I had. And I certainly had no intention of making myself scarce. Isn't this a charming town? Yes, charming. Delightful. Are you on vacation? No. Yes. <laughs> that is, we... Uh... We're on our honeymoon. Oh, are you? Are you indeed? Well, what an ideal place to spend it. We haven't exactly succumbed to its charms yet. We've only just arrived. Well, give it time. Sonderberg is a step back into the past. It takes a while before its, its charm begins to work. It's certainly quiet enough. Mm, I was here once years ago, and I always promised myself a return visit. Then it seemed like an oasis in a desert of insanity. Yes, I suppose so. Except, of course, that Sonderberg has had its own fair share of horrors, you know. Mm. Oh, that's good. <laughs> what delightful beer this is. So refreshing. Uh, do go on, please. Well, the castle, do you see it up on that rock? Yes. Look through the window there, see? Oh, oh yes. yes. Well, that was taken over as a headquarters for the Inquisition. Oh, the poor wretches who were incarcerated and tortured up there. I saw the castle as we drove in. It was beautiful, but it made me shudder. Yeah, it's not surprising. The Inquisition left several pleasant little mementos, all in as good a state of preservation as Sonderberg itself. You must visit the place while you're here. Well, that is, if you're not squeamish. Squeamish? Look, I've got an idea. 
Why don't we join up and go round the castle together tomorrow? Well... Please do. Oh, unless that is you're already busy. Well, no, but... Uh... We'd love it, wouldn't we, Beth? Yes. Yes, of course we would. At first, I couldn't understand the young man's enthusiasm. Uh, I mean, after all, a honeymoon is a, a honeymoon. <laughs> then it struck me that he needed a, a defense mechanism, and I would be there to guard him from the kind of row that I'd stumbled upon just now. <laughs> well, at any rate, we agreed to meet in the hotel lobby at ten o'clock in the morning. As events turned out, I needn't have worried about breaking the idyllic atmosphere, because as we were about to set off... Good God, it can't be! <laughs> Price, it's you! It really is! Hello, Malcolm. <laughs> now, what are you doing in this neck of the woods? Uh, don't tell me they forced you out of the rat race at last. Malcolm Rivers was one of the world's prize boars. If the first prize in a competition were a part in one of Malcolm's movies, the second prize would have been a part in two of Malcolm's movies. Scouting locations, old son. You see that castle up there? That's just right for a new horror picture we've got. I'd love you to read it. It's a great script. Malcolm, I'm, I'm on vacation. Can't we discuss this later, or, or better still see my agent, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, but look, just let me tell you... At this point, our taxi arrived. It was as battered as its driver, but we had all agreed to leave our own transport behind. Trouble was, when Malcolm heard the driver announce that he had come for the castle party, he insisted on coming with us. Castle? Well, you don't mean to say you're actually going there? Yes. Oh, well, that's great. I can actually show you where it all takes place while I'm telling you about it. Malcolm, I... Oh, come on, don't be so coy. You're worse than a virgin on a wedding night. <laughs> I just couldn't shake him off. You never could with Malcolm. That's how he'd hustled his way to the top. Now he attached himself to us like an incubus. The film's all about the Sonderbergs. You know, the family, a sort of pageant of atrocity. I want to step back and look objectively at what each one did. Take Elisa, for instance. While she I can't speak for the others, I was doing my best not to listen. The castle, for those who don't know it, is built on an immensely steep rock dominating the town. And on its northern side is surrounded by a moat, which has long since been filled in. At the foot of the wall is a very pleasant garden with little sheltered seats. Sitting there is a good way of recovering from the rather overpowering tour round the castle. The girl was right. There still was a sinister aura clinging to the place, which even a hot and cheerful summer's morning couldn't entirely dissipate. And they broke in and found the girl strung up by the wrists over the hot coals. Incredible story. Of course, we can't actually put all that into the picture, but we can imply a hell of a lot. You've got to admit, it's a damn good commercial plot line. Now, that's why it's so important to get the feel of the place where it happened. We want to get right away from the studio look. Well, they can go out and shoot a police picture in real locations, or why not a horror picture? Now, the seventh count was a real character. This, this you've got to hear. They say Mr. Rivers... Uh, do you mind if we change the subject? Huh? My wife is feeling a bit faint. Uh, oh, oh that, that's too bad, Mrs... Uh, uh, and we haven't even seen the torture tower yet. 
Uh, now, say, would your lady wife like to wait for us out here? She could sit down there in the garden. Oh, no, I, I don't want to miss anything. I'm quite all right. I think it was probably just that steep hill uh, and the heat. You go on, Malcolm. Hmm? We'll catch up with you later. Uh, oh, no, no, I wouldn't dream of it. Stick together through thick and thin. That's my motto. <laughs> oh, I know. Look at that. Oh, isn't it sweet? It, it can't be more than six weeks old. It was a tiny black kitten, which was playing with its mother near one of the seats in the garden just below us. The cat, a great sleek creature whose coat shone in the sun, lay stretched on the grass and the kitten romped around nearer. The mother would wave her tail for the kitten to try to clutch with its paw or raise her feet to push the little one away as an encouragement to further efforts. It was a charming sight. Beth has been on to me to buy her a cat as soon as we were married. Now I'll get no peace. Oh, Jack, I'd like to take them both. I wonder who they belong to. Oh, they're not strays, and that's for sure. Look at the condition of the mother's coat. Well, they probably belong to the castle. It'd be great for the picture. Madam, touch of atmosphere. Here, 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 puss. Oh, on, puss. Malcolm, leave them alone. <laughs> they can't get up the wall anyway. It's far too steep. <laughs> yes, yes, you're right. Oh, look at the size of the mother. We don't grow cats like that in England. Now, wait just a minute. Ah. ah, here we are. What are you doing? Well, I'll just throw this stone to attract their attention. No, don't do that. Don't do that. You might hit the kitten. Oh, not a chance. What do you take me for? I may produce uh, movies, but I'm not all that bad. I'll just aim it so it lands near them. Make them look up. You ever seen the expression on a cat's face when it's startled? Well, well, watch. <laughs> Oh, good God, God, man, look what you've done. I, I, I never, meant, never meant to do that. Maybe the wall wasn't as sheer as it looked. Maybe there was a concealed angle at its base which we couldn't see. Whatever the reason, Malcolm's aim wasn't as true as he thought. I truly believe that he only intended to startle those cats. But when he leaned over the wall and threw the stone, it landed with a sickening thud right on the kitten's head and shattered out its little brains there and then. Oh, The mother cast a swift upward glance, and I saw her eyes flash like green fire as she stared for an instant at Malcolm Rivers. Then her attention was given to the kitten. After one quiver, it lay still, while a thin red trickle oozed from a gaping wound. Well, I, oh. I wouldn't have had, had this happen for the world. I, I, I can't understand it. Beth, darling. The cat was assiduously licking the kitten's wound. And then suddenly she stopped. She must have realized that it was dead and that her ministrations were useless. For all at once she appeared to lose all interest in the pathetic little body... Instead, she looked again at Rivers, and in that look was all the concentration of primitive hate. Her green eyes blazed, and the blood which dabbled her mouth and whiskers made her look for all the world like an avenging fury. There, Malcolm, I hope you're satisfied. That's something for your horror film. And you have the consolation of knowing it's real blood and not vegetable dye. Oh, don't rub it in. I 
feel bad enough as it is. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Of course you do. I, I love cats. I really do. Although my outburst was a relief, I, I felt slightly ashamed. I, I realized how painfully vulnerable the man really was. I turned my attention to the cat. She was now attempting to claw her way up the wall. When this failed, she tried to launch herself into the air, eyes blazing, claws distended, and then she fell back. Let's go on. I can't bear anymore. Do you want to go home? We can come back tomorrow. I, um, I think a brandy would do you good. I think a brandy would do us all good. No, I don't want to go back to the hotel. I want to see the castle. Let's go on. In face of her obvious determination, there was nothing else we could do. At least the tour would divert her mind, or so we hoped. And we also hoped that Malcolm would be deterred from prattling on about his inane script. But no. I really expect to pick up some great vibrations in the torture tower. It's just over there. You see, you see, you, you can't expect to involve your audience unless you involve yourself. Now, that's... That's the basic rule. You've got to be convinced. And that's why so many movies are just laughable. Nobody is convinced, least of all the makers. <laughs> I remember one crazy scene. <laughs> this will kill you. <laughs> there, there was this... As Malcolm laughed, I looked back at the cat. She too had heard, and her whole demeanor seemed to change. She no longer tried to jump or run up the wall but instead began to lick and fondle the dead kitten as if it were alive. Then she took it in her mouth and began to follow us until we reached the limit of the wall's boundary. I thought I was the only one who noticed, but I was wrong. Mr. Rivers, I know this may sound silly, but I think that cat means to do you harm. <laughs> oh, now that I love. Oh, let's keep a sense of proportion about this. Well, I'm terribly sorry about what happened, but I refuse to avoid dark alleys over a damn cat. <laughs> Besides, she probably has a litter of others under some bush. Yes, Beth, I think you're being melodramatic. Do you? Look, Beth, are you sure you wouldn't rather call it a day? Oh, for heaven's sake, stop fussing. I said I was all right, didn't I? Or are you trying to get rid of me? Oh, now, don't start that again. All I was trying to do was to give Mr. Rivers a perfectly reasonable warning. I think all are afraid. Well, here's the tower entrance. Shall we go in? I tried to sound unconcerned, but somewhere in the back of my mind, I had a sneaking feeling that the girl was probably right. first we could see nothing. The darkness seemed incarnate, surrounding, stifling us like a blanket. The four of us just stood there, waiting for the use of our eyes to return. We were in the lower chamber. The thin sunlight filtering in through a tiny window seemed to lose itself in the thickness of the walls which were coated with the dust of centuries. Here and there were patches of dark stain... Only rivers, naturally, remained comparatively unmoved. 
Not much room for cameras down here. Still, I suppose we could manage. Uh, excuse me, but you are English? Yes. No. Well, three of us are. I think your English are interested in tortures, yes? Ah, yes. Uh, you would like to see our collection? Yes. The best in Germany. Well, thank you very much. Perhaps you could show us around. You will uh, follow me, please. You are my first party of the day. The main collection is on the floor above. I think you will find them interesting. I remembered the wealth of stories about the legendary cruelty of the Counts of Sonderberg and, of course, their ladies. It was said that they had found a legitimate outlet for their bloodlusts by channeling them into the service of the officers of the Inquisition. None of your half-measures here. Wow! Look at all that! Oh, Jack. We found ourselves in a room full of torture instruments. Chairs full of spikes which gave instant and excruciating pain. Steel cages in which the head could slowly be crushed into a pulp. Racks, belts, boots, gloves, collars, and all around the walls great headsmen's swords, evil, keen-edged weapons that would decapitate with one slash and nearby blocks where the victims' necks had lain, with deep notches where the steel had bitten through the guard of flesh and shored into the wood. We all found ourselves speechless in the face of this bestial evidence of man's inhumanity to man. All that is except but Malcolm Rivers. Unbelievable! Just what we need! It's too good to be true, it really is. You see, it's perfect for a setup just here. It's a question of getting permission to use this stuff, but well, I wonder what the formalities are. Hey, let me just sit in that chair a moment. Wow! <laughs> Rivers was behaving with his usual insensitivity, but there was something more. I think the others shared the feeling with me that it was sacrilegious. An odd word to use, I know, but there was something sacred about the place. It was a, a temple but a temple to evil. Now, over here is... Uh, sirs and madam, is a famous instrument of the Inquisition. Uh, one might almost say the most famous, and still in perfect working order. The old man pointed to the main object in this chamber of horrors, the Iron Virgin, a copy of the famous one at Nuremberg. The contraption was covered in rust and dust, except for the face which was oddly fresh-looking, as if the custodian had scrubbed it. While the figure was curved in the shape of a woman, it was just broad enough for a man to fit inside, as we could see when the door was opened. The door itself was enormously thick and was worked open and shut by a thick chain running through a pulley attached to a heavy beam in the roof. When the weight was released, the door would slam shut. The devilish nature of the Iron Virgin was truly revealed when you examined the inside of the door. A number of iron spikes were fixed there, and when the victim was placed inside it and the door closed, the upper spikes would pierce his eyes and the lower ones his heart and vitals. What a charming toy. Oh, God, look at the bloodstains. <laughs> it's hard to wash out blood completely, man. And there are some who say it comes back anyway. 
I think I can believe this place is haunted. And on that happy note, I vote that we make a hurried exit. That suits me. Well, let's go and have that drink we promised ourselves, shall we, right now? No, 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 wait. What's up this time, for God's sake? Hey, you, old man. Now, how big is that space? What, sir? Uh, the space inside. I want to see if I can get in. Oh. <laughs> well, I told you, I like sampling new experiences. Now, Malcolm, realism is one thing. Nonsense. Courage of your convictions and all that. Now, come on, squire. I need your help on this. Very good, sir, if you insist. You're not serious. Well, sure I am. Yeah. Yeah. That's a <laughs> tight fit. Even if... Grown some since those days, but I'll manage. Here, see, you are not really allowed to do this, sir. If anyone found out, I might get into trouble. Why should anyone find out? I might even lose my job. Okay, okay, I get you. A price, uh, give him something, will you? Oh well, I'll... I'll settle with you later. I think this is all very silly. All in the cause of art. Well, I, for one, won't go and see his beastly film. That, my dear, makes two of us. Hey, what's all the whispering about? Oh, here you are. Two, four, six. <laughs> thank you, sir. Oh, thank you, sir. Well, do you think that will square your conscience? Oh, yes, sir. I, I think it squares it very nicely. And now that you've had your little game, can we all go? Go, if you like. I'm not stopping you. I'm, I'm staying here. Oh, come on, Malcolm. Malcolm, nothing. I'm really enjoying this. Live dangerously, that's my motto. <laughs> oh, Charlie, now unfasten the door. But, sir... Can't somebody stop Malcolm, us? you've had your little joke, but enough is enough. Enough hell. You, Charlie, do as I tell you. Now start letting that door down. But slowly. Very, very slowly. Despite his reluctance, the old man did as he was told. He worked the machine with a deliberate and excruciating slowness in which the outer edge of the door hadn't moved half five inches in as many minutes. The whole ridiculous charade had a kind of macabre thrill about it. <laughs> it was a scene from Malcolm's horror film played exclusively for our benefit. And then I saw her cat. I don't think the others noticed at first. They were too intent on watching the progress of that door. Even Rivers had ceased to chatter. In the far corner of the chamber, dark, untamable forces were gathering. Her green, baleful eyes shone like danger lamps, and as I peered at her, I could see that their color was heightened by the blood which still smeared her coat and reddened her mouth, and still, slowly, inexorably, with the precision of an expert, the old man went on working that door. Even then, I wasn't sure what the animal intended to do, or even if she intended to do anything, until suddenly... The cat! Look out for the cat! The cat launched herself, not at Malcolm, but at the luckless custodian. Her eyes blazed with ferocity. Her hair bristled till she seemed twice her normal size. Her tail lashed out like a tiger's when the quarry is before it. The cat's claws found one of his eyes, and I actually saw her tear through it and down his cheek 
leaving wide bands of red where the blood seemed to spurt from every vein. Oh, Jack! Oh, God! Look out! He can't hold it! With a yell of agony and terror, the man leapt back, dropping the chain which held back the door. It ran like lightning through the pulley block, and the massive door slammed shut. In the instant before the door had closed, I saw Malcolm's face. His eyes stared as if dazed, and for once in his life, he was speechless. Jack, help me get the door open. For God's sake, help me. I'm coming. Beth, stay where you are. For God's sake, don't look. The end must have been quick, for when we managed to wrench the door open, the spikes had done their work. They had pierced right through the skull, so that as the door opened, the body came with it, and he fell to the floor, face turned upwards. Get your wife out of here. She needs air. I'll attend to the old man. Right. Uh, oh, God. The old custodian was leaning against the wooden pillar Holding his reddening handkerchief to his eyes While on the face of poor rivers There sat the cat Purring loudly as she licked the blood Which trickled through the gashed sockets of his eyes I pushed her away from her ghoulish meal And... Well, I hope no one will call me cruel because I seized one of the old executioner's swords from its rack on the wall and with one slash, shore her in two on the spot. Poor Malcolm. He'd had his total experience, a good deal more total than he'd bargained for. Cozy, wasn't it? You see what I mean about cats? You never can tell. That was Vincent Price, bringing you The Price of Fear. Also starring in this story, Cat's Cradle, were Kenneth J. Warren and Frederick Schrecker, with John Sampson and Bonnie Harren. Cat's Cradle was first recounted as The Score by Bram Stoker, dramatized by Richard Davis and produced by John Dias.
was Cat's Cradle from The Price of Fear here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that came to us as a listener request from uh, someone who likes us. Thanks, Monica. Thank you, Monica, for all the nice things you say. And I was uh, really hoping after reading that that we all really, really hate this just for you. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that we should defer the opening comments of this to Tim, because I love Vincent Price. I do love Vincent Price. <laughs> I I love Vincent Price. <laughs> Let's defer to Tim because he hates cats. <laughs> uh, it is awkward, actually, that this episode came up because I listened to a bunch of Price of Fear and I started listening to this and like, oh, this is good. This is good. And then, nope, I stopped listening halfway through. Like, I... <laughs> I'm sure it's good, but I'm done. And so I heard the first half of this, I think maybe twice because I forgot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the first time I've heard the whole thing. And I'm glad I heard the whole thing because it, it helps me put it in some perspective. It's not just random killing a kitten. It's, it's tough. The rock on the cat's head is a difficult moment. And I don't know what's worse, the imagery or... The nonchalance description by Price of it happened. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, it, Price is like, you know how it looks when a kitten's head is crushed. It's right. this very like exactly. <laughs> he's smoking a cigarette, has a drink in his hand. And as much as like the actual when an animal dies in a story is difficult and you feel a little attacked by whoever the artist is who made you go through that. Right. It is a well-crafted bit of horror. Like when that Malcolm is like, no, nah, just throw a rock. I'll be fine. And like, don't. Throw a rock at the cat. Like you are gonna mess this up real bad. I think I'm on board for the entire thing until the end when Vincent Price cuts the cat in two. Because that was when it's a weird twist. That, yeah, yeah. When it's a morality play, like this arrogant film director who's full of bravado and bluster, and he gets his comeuppance for it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I'm when it comes to animal abuse, I'm really old school, wrath of God, eye for an eye, and I'm like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but it's from the original short story that moment, mm-hmm. but when it's transplanted into an action by Vincent Price, who you feel such fondness for, and he says, I hope you don't think me cruel. And I'm like, yes, yes, I do, <laughs> Vincent Price. <laughs> and it is so out of character with everything else in Price of Fear in general that he is this sort of bemused observer to all things horrifying mm-hmm. that at this point it like he feels he needs to step in and kill this cat i think our listeners need to know before we go any further that i have two cats <laughs> tim has uh, one cat one cat yes joshua has 73 <laughs> cats <laughs> honest to god listeners true story uh, we asked him how many cats do you have? <laughs> and he said, let me think. <laughs> well, they come and go. Some of them get cleaved in half, and I have to start counting over again. It does come up we've, because of Zoom that we talking, and you see each other in our various homes, and the parade of cats that come through his Zoom screen. <laughs> he has to stop and say, sorry, I got to get the cat out of here. No one's fed this one. <laughs> All right, you ready? How many cats do you have, Joshua? Six. Oh, look at that. Right now, yes. 
We do rescue a lot of cats. We're just really bad at fostering. We just keep them. Um, So all of our cats have come from either like shelters where they're going to be killed or they're on the list like, nobody loves this cat. Oh, this cat has a bad eye. No one will adopt him. Or it's bizarre how many black cats don't get adopted because people are still superstitious, A, which is horrible, or even worse, I like superstition better. People feel like they're not photogenic enough for Instagram and things wow. like that. So they are the most likely to be put down. So if I you're have adopting a, black cat a cat at home who is very handsome, very yes. photogenic. Yes. Um, and one we wow. grabbed off the street from a crazy old lady who was going around saying, this is a very bad kitten. I don't want it. Like a homeless lady. And we thought she was going to kill it. And that one we were going to give away. But I was like, I love this kitten so much. Did she just <laughs> hand it to you? Yeah. I mean, we knocked her down. <laughs> then she handed it to us. <laughs> but this, I think, brings up an interesting point with horror, because horror fans, they like horror by definition. And that line for everybody is different, where they can um, get the vicarious intellectual or like adrenal thrill from this horror, but uh, divorce their emotional selves from it so that they... You know, that Mm -hmm. thrill is transitory and doesn't do any traumatic damage. (laughs) But everyone has those emotional lines where it's like, oh, this one I can't let go. This hurts a little too much. This is no longer entertainment. I'll still keep thinking about this one after it's over, and I don't want to. When the horse jumps off the ship in the ring, I can't get that out of my head. It makes me so sad. If you say to me, hey... Want to watch Sounder? No. <laughs> <laughs> Want to see a horse swallowing the quicksand in never-ending story? Yeah, no. 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 <laughs> what was the one that came out, Benji and Me or something like that? Marley and Me. And people actually got to me in time and they said, hey, 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 hey. So, shh, there's going to be a movie coming out. <laughs> don't, don't even look at the previews. Don't look at the dog. It's terrible. So I, 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 this is hard on me. To the point where, and Joshua will back me up before I saw you tonight, Tim. I said, hey, fill me in on that second half again of what happened in that Vincent Price thing. And yeah, I had a busy day, but I think a lot of it was after the cat head squished. I was like, ah, I can't stop thinking about the head. (laughs) Like I wasn't that present for the rest of this because I was horrified. And I think you're right, Joshua, in saying... That's the point. You're supposed to be horrified. But mm-hmm. I, it seems to me like being horrified for horrified sake. What was interesting to me, because this time I did listen to the whole thing, I didn't just bail on it, was the part that re-engaged me was Malcolm, this this guy who like he was sort of little kid sheepish, like, oh, I did bad and people mm-hmm. were mad at me. And it just took a few minutes for him to get exactly back where he was. Yeah. That was an interesting character choice for me of like, this is... For as much as a blowhard as he is, as sadistic as that kind of was, it's not active evil. He's just infantile. It's disturbing how fast he blows it off, but you're you're having empathy for him and chalking it up to just not that bright a guy. Yeah. The script is confusing because it does ask us in that moment to feel empathy because I think we're supposed to take our cues from Vincent Price. Mm-hmm. In all things, yes. <laughs> and and so, yeah, and so you feel like that's maybe a turning point, but he just becomes horrible again. Yeah. And so it's very confusing of where your sympathies are supposed to lie, and I think it's very inconsistently written. And it's confused a bit by the presence of the newlyweds who provide, I think, great amusement in the beginning. It's my yes. favorite part of the entire <laughs> thing, where Vincent Price is like, I'm just going to intrude upon these two who are having a horrible honeymoon. This will be amusing. <laughs> this will pass some hours. Uh and I love that, but after that scene, they have no narrative impact. They no. do nothing. 
The original short story obviously does not have Vincent Price in it from 1893, um, and it is the husband of the newlyweds who narrates it, and they get drawn on this story, so there's a reason for them to be there. And all they did was just go, and then we're just going to add Vincent Price to the party, which usually makes a party much better. (laughs) But in this case, it, it just seemed like the newlyweds were baggage. The other part of it that I, I liked was the idea of this Malcolm being this schlock horror director that Vincent Price has worked with, mm-hmm. maybe a stand-in for Roger Corman. <laughs> um, but the, that the ending scene is just 100% like that is schlock horror, mm-hmm. both in what happens and kind of how it's presented and the, the gore, that, that the sort of meta level of that entertained me. Yeah, and I wish the writer had felt more confidence to change the original story and lean into that harder, because you're absolutely right. That would be really fascinating. And I think part of that is that this could be a story with just that film director and just Vincent Price. (laughs) We don't need the newlyweds who add nothing to it, and we don't need to slice the cat in two as some form of revenge or indictment of the poor mother cat. (laughs) Um, I'm going to challenge you on something when you say that it was sloppy writing or whatever you said, that he kills the cat and he's he's sorry about it. And then you say, then he goes back, right, to just being himself. And then you're confused. Like, what are we supposed to feel for this guy? Am I quoting you mm-hmm. correctly? Yeah. I'm going to say that that's actually kind of interesting to me to do that as a writer where... Yeah, you give him a little something, the listener or the reader or whoever, and you say, feel bad for this guy. No, don't feel bad for this guy. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's making you have a moment of, oh, this poor guy. Oh, no, he's a jerk again. It's Although, that actually, yo-yo of emotion. Mm-hmm. And this might be more me just personally, but I also felt a little bad for him of, like, I know what it's like to really mess something up bad. Like, ah, uh, I thought I could do something and I couldn't. I know when I've overstepped mm-hmm. and it messed it up bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that sort of crossroads of like, I can shut up now, say I'm sorry, and just go, or I can sort of sulk about it for five minutes and then pretend it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. All I to say, like, this is a terrible guy. He's awful. Yeah, and I, I agree with both of you. that I think that's where the story suggests it's going to be promising. It's going to be complex in some way, but it never follows through on any of that. If, if the horror here was less about the murder of the kitten, it's still there. But the horror is, as Tim's saying, the realization that we are always just one dumb mistake away from maybe doing something terrible that has a permanent effect on some living creature, right? Um, but it doesn't explore that. It just I think it, the story wants you to just feel it in that moment and then move on. It basically feels like I don't feel too bad about the cat. <laughs> and now we're going to go back to the story. Well, now that's in my head for the rest of my life. <laughs> we are just one small mistake away from doing something horrible to an animal. <laughs> you or, or your wife or a lo- other loved yeah, one or a perfect stranger. Don't tell me that. <laughs> you don't have that in your head all the time, 24 hours a day? Nope. Not what well, I do now. <laughs> Yay. Welcome. Hey, the, you talk- I'm just six drinks and buying a gun away from doing something crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you said at the about the the newlywed couple that you like the beginning and that uh, then they disappear and that bugs you and they're not part of the narrative anymore. Uh, I I will say that getting to the castle was long and arduous and non-interesting. And I think the point of it is that this is supposed to be Vincent Price playing Vincent Price fictionally, like 
I know in all the movies and everything that my life is full of suspense and horror, but my actual real life is actually full of mystery, suspense, and horror. And they're trying so hard to establish that, see, I'm just a normal guy. I'm out and I heard this argument. It just takes too long to get to the castle. I'm going to remember this because I think this is the best way to encapsulate your storytelling philosophy is get to the castle. (laughs) 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 And it's totally legitimate. I will accept that. I think... (laughs) Get to the. Get I'm going to get you point. a T-shirt that says "Get to the Castle." <laughs> well, I can't tell you how many movies, especially during quarantine, that they start like bam, right? Like every Mission Impossible movie, whatever <laughs> you think of Tom Cruise or any, I don't care. Every one of those movies, like bam, we're in and we don't stop. And like, thank you, we are at the castle. <laughs> <laughs> the title credits were at the castle. Yeah, they are. It's like here we go, and it doesn't slow down much at all. Uh, so I, I would agree with that assessment of me. I do. I agree with what you're saying, though, that the couple before they just sort of disappear were really entertaining and the a little bit motivating the plot of. He has made the wife so angry and upset between everything that's going on. Like, we are going to go see every awful place in this building. Like, <laughs> yeah. Show me the torture room. Let me see it. Yeah. Yeah, she's very determined. I guess. She's, it seems well, she's, like she's going to faint during the walk at one point. Yeah. And he, they say, oh, you want to go back? And she goes, no, it's just the heat. It's just, it's just a funny moment. Because it's like, I, I, I'm not emotionally weak. I'm physically weak. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was supposed to play off the fact that she's super mad at him for inviting Vincent. Yeah, it's all muddy. And it for feels looking like, at some other frau. Yeah, that's bizarre dialogue. <laughs> like he's he's already mad at her uh, because she's mad at him for looking at other women on their honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I mean, that's one of those cases where either you guys have both made a terrible mistake or you utterly deserve one another, and you can't decide <laughs> which, which it is. <laughs> on that horrible moment of she's the fattest woman I've ever seen or something like that. Whoa, 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 whoa. What's that got to do with anything? <laughs> but they did drink some beer. Yes, and it's great. Purely by accident, we still have leftover German beer from our Nero Wolf episode. <laughs> so we are still drinking um, narratively appropriate beer. Yeah. Bex, yeah. which Joshua said, this is like tasteless water. <laughs> and I said, hmm, that's got a lot of flavor yeah, to he it. He was like, this beer gets to the castle. <laughs> <laughs> Well, any other Uh, thoughts on this gentleman? uh, Having tried and failed at this episode at least twice before, I'm grateful to get to the whole thing and so I could sort of mine all the bits of it that really do pay off uh, and not feel as bad about the parts of it that like, that's so awful. I had a hard time justifying in my head why on earth Malcolm would get into that Iron Virgin, just based purely on his character, because it feels like he's portrayed as someone who is someone who's pretending to have talent. He's all talk. As soon as he he crumbles a little, as soon as he kills that cat, like to your point, and I feel like a guy who's all bluster, I guess there's an argument that he'd do something stupid to prove he isn't, but it just felt like a, a weird moment where he's like, I'm getting into this Iron Virgin because it's what the plot says I should do. You know, it didn't feel mm-hmm. in earned. my in my head. This might fill that detail in for you. That as he's talking, he's doing that director thing where he puts his fingers together to make a little rectangle if he wants to shoot from oh, in here. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, we got to backfill a lot in this. Yeah. Although I do like the description of the uh, Iron Virgin, where it's like um, it's shaped like a woman, but broad enough for a man to fit in. If Sounding like the deodorant commercial. (laughs) Strong enough for a man, but shaped like a woman with spikes. (laughs) Irish Spring? Yeah. 
I think so, yeah. It's sad that... The German maiden. That commercial, that commercial worked. That's what I just proved. <laughs> well, let's send it to a vote. Uh, this week, uh, we start with Joshua. Well, I mean, I'm going to give the story this much. I think it's very clear that the intention of the story is to shock. Mm-hmm. It's not going for suspense. It is not attempting to be like uh, the man who hated scenes which is all one slow, careful buildup to this one devastating act of violence that's barely described and left for the listener to imagine. This is the exact opposite. Every gruesome detail that they can take time to slowly describe, and all of it is telegraphed. You know it's going to happen for minutes before it happens. Um, So, I mean, I will give it credit for succeeding in that area. It does, as a shocker, stand the test of time. It hasn't been tamed in the years since it was made, you know, 40-some years ago. It still stands up as shocking, but not a classic and not one that I would ever revisit or tell a friend, hey, you got to hear this. <laughs> so like a Friday the 13th movie. Yeah, it's it's that kind if of stuff, like which that. is not my no. horror cup of tea at all. I mean, I think that's very accurate. We were saying a little bit earlier that all it was in the spirit of these gruesome horror movies I don't know how much is pulled from the, the short story, but that it's meant to be in that style, and it successfully is, uh, but as an adaptation, it's uneven. Um, but stands the test of time. Yeah, I agree with you. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to anyone. I think the entire concept of Price of Fear is too much for me in general. The fictitious world that's not fictitious, that is fictitious of Vincent Price. I think it's overreaching in general. It's a weird... <laughs> Even the man who hated scenes? That's yeah, a like... fantastic piece of radio. Just because they're overall I don't like something doesn't mean they don't do something I like. All I'm saying is get to the castle, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> What's your point? <laughs> My point is I, I just struggle with that concept in general. Like Vincent Price is playing himself but not playing himself. And I I think that that tends to drag it down. I think that they get mired in trying to explain all that, which makes it slow. Uh, Gratuitous violence, for the sake of gratuitous violence, really, as Joshua said, not my deal. Uh, It was really hard for me to pay attention after uh, I now have a crushed kitty head in my brain forever. Um, And I will say for this that, uh, well, not a classic, um, does not stand the test of time and uh, just not not my deal. At no point did I find myself But we are living anything. in an age of gore, like with Walking mm-hmm. Dead. Where, so like to me, I think it is contemporary in its level of gore. I guess by stand the test of time, I would have to say, who are you asking me to recommend it to? A lot of people I know, I'd be like, nah, you know, it's not worth it. But I guess if someone said... Oh, I'm really into that. I'd say, hey, well, listen to this. Do you like crushed kitty heads? <laughs> like, I'm a dog person. Listen to this. <laughs> but I do, I do want to say thank you, Monica, and I want to be really careful here that I don't think our reactions mean, like, you're a monster for bringing this to the no, podcast. No, I don't think she would take it that That's way. That's not why you're a monster. No, no. All right. No, I think she wanted to hear us listen to Crush Kitty Head <laughs> and see how we responded to Crush Kitty Head, which is now the name of my improv group. <laughs> Maybe she was afraid we were monsters and we actually passed the test. She's right. like relieved. <laughs> well, isn't that awesome how that cat's head squished? Well, I'm glad we redid the, the first version where we all really loved it. <laughs> right. 
Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is the home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there. You can comment on episodes. You can send us uh, requests for episodes you'd like us to listen to or just any message you want to get to us. Um, you can... <laughs> Help me! <laughs> I'm trapped in a well! Anything. Thanks for the comment! <laughs> <laughs> me too! We'll add your rescue to our list. <laughs> Metaphorically, who isn't? You can also link to our social media pages, where there's even more things to comment on and click like on. and It's just endless clicking. <laughs> you can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. I wish it were endless clicking on the Patreon side, but we have a lot of enthusiastic and fantastic Patreon supporters. So I, I, I'm always begging for more, and I feel like occasionally I will stop and say thank you to everyone who does support us, and we really do mm-hmm. appreciate it. It really helps. Yeah. Some of us have even paid a bill this month, I think. <laughs> so that is fantastic. And if you would like to support this podcast and you would like to have uh, access to some of our members-only podcasts, uh, please go to patreon.com slash themorals. You can also write a review on iTunes because that helps us too, helps us reach other people. Uh, write us a review as if you are Vincent Price. <laughs> if you'd like to see us performing live, we are still with Park Square Theater. Go to parksquaretheater.org where you can see about our performance schedule. It's constantly adapting. Sometimes we're doing uh, audio recordings of original work and sometimes we're going to be on stage uh, without an audience recording ourselves doing radio recreations or original work but there is a radio show once a month through parksquaretheater.org in some way (laughs) shape or form that you can watch and or listen to and the price is worth it. It's a good price for a ticket. It's not uh, extravagant. Helps us out a lot. Helps keep the theater going as well. Speaking of theater, uh, we are recording at North Garden Theater uh, in their theater space, which is also in St. Paul and West 7th Avenue. If you are in the area or outstate area and you need a rental space for any event, wedding, anything that you can think of, or if you are in theater, this is a great space and we really thank them a lot for letting us use their space so that we can see each other again and not be doing this on Zoom, despite the fact that I still can't get over the beards. (laughs) (laughs) What is coming up next? Next, we're taking a break from listener requests and it is an episode of what? my choosing. It is John St. John from Pat Novak for Hire. Until then. Look out! Bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. Think it'll work? It would take a miracle. Bye-bye. Bye.